So, does anybody else feel like we've spent a long time on this series? Yeah. Yes. I wouldn't say a long time, but I would say... I'd say like it's, a while. You know, it's been how many weeks? Four or five or six? For more than that? I well, it's been longer since we had some breaks. That's true. But, it's been like a month. Well, we are two-thirds of the way through. All right. Yay, All right. Yeah, more than half one Huh? All the way two-thirds? Well, tonight's lesson starts the last third. So, we're a little, we'll be more than two-thirds of the way. And a half? Uh, Technically, yes, because we did a lesson before the Fruits of the Spirit, and there are nine Fruits of the Spirit, and we're done six of them. So, all right. So, but why are we spending so much time on this? Why have we gone through word by word? Okay, that is that's a very good point. That is hard for us. I like that. They're important. All right. Why do you think, Mallory? Why have we spent so much time on the fruits of the spirit? Okay, spend some time so then we understand them, so we really get to know them. That's good. Let's go to James chapter 2. That is in the New Testament, after Hebrews, almost to the end. Very small book. So like right before Peter? Yes, it is right before Peter. No, I mean like which page? The one right before Peter? It'll be James chapter 2. Probably, there you go, just one page. And chapter 2, verse 19, or sorry, 18 is what I want to read. Chapter 2? Yep. Are you going to read Yes, please. Do you not have that page? I couldn't find it. It's fine. Okay. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. All right. Did you miss it, Gideon? Chapter 2, verse 18. Sorry. But sometimes we do. We just haven't done a, we haven't done a standard storyline topic in a while. Yeah. Before 1 Peter. I saw Evan here. Where did he go? Because he's an adult, so. Oh, you are missing it. All right, since since we've gotten a little distracted, Eli, would you read verse eighteen again for us? Good. Let's focus. Yeah, a man may say, "Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works." Okay, what do you think that verse means? Might take a minute to figure it out, to separate it out. What What's that first uh, phrase mean? Lots of old English words in there. Like living you have faith and I have... Show me how you do things without faith. Like, what, like things that God does for us? The, like works? Is that what it means, or works? 
No, not the things that God does for us. Let's start with faith. What does faith mean? What? Um, I wouldn't say without any reason. Maybe without proof. Yeah, yeah, Okay, that's a lot of times that is um, a standard definition of it, but. What we like to say, for those of you who have just joined our teen group, somebody, belief in God's promises. That's what we like to say. Yeah, it was me. I-E, belief. No, no, no. B-E-L-I-E. No, yeah, there you go. There you go. Okay. So that means that you trust what God says. All right. And if we're taking that in mind while we read verse 18, what do you think James is trying to say? He's saying, if somebody says to me, you have faith. And I have works. Show me thy faith. Not quite. What what's works mean in this context? Nope, it's not about what God does. Okay, things that you do, right? Have you ever heard before that you can't be saved by works? Have you ever heard that? Right, you can't be perfect and never sin, so then you won't die. That doesn't work, right? Think of Job. Um, Job. Job did sin, but he was somebody who he worked very hard to follow everything that God had said. All right, so he was. And they say he was considered a perfect man. Yes, he was considered a perfect man, as in From saying as perfect as a human being could be. But that doesn't mean that he had no sin. He still made mistakes because no human is perfect. What? Yes, you're correct. Yep. So, yes, that is what we're talking about is that no person can be absolutely perfect because you are saved by your... What do you have to believe? Okay, what's, but what's the most important promise? The one that holds the most hope for you? Eternal life. Wait, I don't know. Yes, what were you going to say, Gideon? I was going to say eternal life. Okay, right. And you believe that when Jesus died, he paid for your sins, right? Okay. So, that's the only way you can get into heaven, right? Agreed? Everybody agrees with that? Good. So... What James is saying here is somebody 
says to him, you have faith and I have works, so show me your faith. Mallory, how are you going to show to me that you have faith in God? Well, I can't, I can't see your prayers. I, really, I probably don't even hear very many of your prayers. I think I've only heard one of your prayers. And that was the one today. How does that show me? How does that make me know that you have faith? Right? Okay. So that'd be pretty hard to do, maybe, right? So what does he say next? Oh, says, I'm going to show you my faith by my works. Put, like, everything you do, like, put, I don't know. Do it for God, like, use your... Show your faith in, like, everything that you do. Yeah. Okay, yes. Good, we're on the right track now. Because you're not saved by those things you do, right? But you do them because... Because what? Okay, yes. But it's coming out of the fact that you have faith in God. What would you call those things or some of those things? The things that people can see in your life that show that you believe in God. No, that would be a more direct way, right? You would be spreading the gospel, telling them about what Jesus did. But you can also, like, you can, like, show that you're a Christian and by, like, having faith in your actions, not just by spreading the word. Okay. I see what, I see where you're going there, that in your life that you trust God to get you through, say, uh, a hard time, or you trust him to take care of things that you don't know are going to happen yet. Telling people that. Okay. So again, what do you call those things that people are observing? Things that are part of your life. Oh, yeah, they might be your fruits, right? So how many How many of you have fruit trees at your house? I don't put my I'm going to try to grow a little apple tree grow. Sorry, I can't see with my back to you. Okay. I'm trying to grow an apple tree grow. How about I do because they're all little saplings and they're growing. Well good. How about grapevines? Anybody have grapevines at their house? All right, quite a few of you. Do you know which branch will grow? How many people have apple trees? Peach trees. Cherry tree. Okay, those are good. Okay. With lemon trees. I grew lemon trees once. Um, so let's go with cherry. That seems like a good. Everybody's got cherries, it seems, or knows somebody with a cherry tree. 
So, do you know which branch is going to grow a cherry next year? Uh, well, which branch is? Starting, um, they've already started nope. sprouting flowers and everything. So. Not yet. No, They're, I mean they already have. Oh, vines. in the past. Gotcha. How do you? Which one is going to grow? Okay, you know when the flowers show up, but if you were to look at now, do you know which one? I don't know because it has patterns every year. Last year it was growing on the right side, so this year it grew on the left side, just like two years ago. It has a pattern. That's unusual. Alright, so if you have a tree, you'll notice if you were to look at it this year that there are these little, what you'd call, spurs that come off of the branches. And those are where you are going to get buds next year. They're going to grow off of those. So, it doesn't grow them all of a sudden the next in the spring. It already has this growth. But if you were to cut off these branches or even knock off the spurs, they won't get buds on those. Yep, no cherry tree. I know because the deer come and eat mine. I've had to start putting fence around them to keep um, the deer away. Deer so, jump up to three feet in the air so they can probably jump the fences. You probably want a full fence around it, all over it, no holes. Right. And a little door. So if you don't have any fruit on your tree, if it's just or not producing many or little ones, do you know what you need to do then? No, give it no, you don't want to kill Wait, it. Give it fertilizer. Yeah, you might want to spray it like pesticide. Yeah, you have to cut the branches back because if it's an older tree and it's not producing the little spurs or it doesn't have new growth, you need to cut it back to force it to grow new stuff. So you cut it right back. Isn't that kind of wrong? No, nope, it's what the tree needs. And then they'll get these new things that shoot off, and then they'll get the little spurs on them. And you train them into the right, you bring them down to make them produce fruit, and you do all this stuff to get it to grow fruit. Because that, what good is a cherry tree if you don't get cherries on it? I mean, it's pretty for a week. But does pretty work for you when you want to eat a cherry? Wait, would you have to spray the pesticide You would. You would. But it will not. Some pesticides actually do. And not if it's the the right one. Okay, so um, we are the same way because you have to always be growing in order to produce fruit in your life to produce the fruits of the Spirit. If you say, I'm just going to stop growing, I'm satisfied with the fruit that I have in my life. That's not possible to force yourself to stop. I don't mean physically. I mean spiritually. To stop, say, I'm satisfied with where I'm at, I'm comfortable with where I'm at, you're just not going to produce fruit anymore. That's wrong. You have to always be working to produce the fruit. Now, let's turn to John chapter 15, because in case you're wondering, thinking, oh, that's an interesting illustration, 
Not sure if I'd go with that. John chapter 15, verse 5 through 8. I'll pick up with Audrey. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me, and, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside with the branch, and he withers. They gather around them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want, and it will be done for you. Thank you. I can't find it. I didn't hear the verse. Uh, John 15. Verse 8. Here it is in the perfect word that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. Okay. So this is Jesus talking, and this is actually at the Last Supper when he talks about this. You guys, have you all, I'm sure quite a few of you have been to a communion service or you know what that is. And this is when Jesus first enacted that. And during that meal, he talks to them. All these, uh, starting with chapter 13 to chapter 16, it's all stuff that he's telling them this last time that he sees them before he dies on the cross. So he's giving them all this information, um, essentially what to do, how to live when he's gone. Because things are going to change for them. He's not going to be with them in the same way. Instead, he's going to send them the Holy Spirit which all of us have as well, that he sends the Holy Spirit to you. And he's telling them, this is the picture. I am a vine, and then you are my branches coming off of me. So I'm using an app, a tree because most of us are more familiar with fruit trees than grapevines, but there in the Middle East... What kind of tree? Peach, apple? Any of them work. But in the Middle East, grapevines are very prevalent. And he says, I am this branch. Not a lot of room to write. And each one of you guys is one of these branch, the branches coming off of that main trunk. And he says, you're not going to be able to bear any fruit unless you're attached to me. And he says, and if you stop bearing fruit, I'm going to cut you off. Yikes. Imagine if someone was the front branch and, the, and all the other branches were connected to that branch, and then it was connected to the trunk, and that would get cut off all the everything too. Well, this is different because on a grapevine, it's different. You have one big trunk and then separate vines that each come off of it. Yes, but you said like a tree. Yes, I'm using a different illustration because that's what we are more familiar with around here. So, and in order for you to produce the fruits of the Spirit, you have to be connected to Jesus. You have to be, have a relationship with him. And that's, where, that's the root of all the fruits that we've been talking about. Um. And through that relationship, you become alive with his spirit. 
You might say, well, I don't feel very alive. Or, I don't even really feel his presence. Well, sometimes picking one of the fruits that we've talked about, whether it's patience or joy or love or peace or goodness, picking one of these fruits and deciding, I'm going to start acting this out because God said that I should. Not because I'm feeling like it, but because Jesus told me that I should. That will begin a process where your physical activities are going to feel are going to affect your spirit. Sometimes you kind of have to work in reverse. If you are struggling with trying to make that spiritual connection, Pick something that God told you that you should do. Whatever it is, if you're not sure, go to the Sermon on the Mount. There's tons of things in there that Jesus said that we should do. Pick one of those things and say, I'm going to try to act this out in my life. And that's almost like, it's almost like jump-starting your dead battery in your car. Just those actions will begin to affect your spirit. Because in this life, your physical life and your spiritual life are connected. Doesn't might not always feel like it is, but they are connected. Things that you do in this world affect your spirit and other people's spirits. So, why are we spending so much time on the fruits of the spirit? Because they're all a part of us. Okay, they should be a part of you, right? It's not inherent. You've got to awaken your spirit. We don't want to be disconnected. Yes, that's true that we want... We want to remember it, too. Yes, those are good things. We're getting closer. Yep, very good. can give you another analogy here. All right. If you have... Has anybody ever done uh, shot BB guns? What? BB guns. Like or like an air rifle. Okay. Um, or or if you haven't done that, if you ever shot like a, a twenty two or any type of rifle or shotgun. I hope you shot BB gun before. Well, not necessarily. I shot a BB gun that looked like a rifle. Okay. That works. So. Has anybody ever zeroed a rifle or a BB gun? Yes. Zero? What does that mean? Well, I'm going to kind of explain it. It means that you align the sights with your barrel or your scope with your barrel. So then, okay, that's all right. Wherever you put, because everyone knows what a scope looks like, right? You've probably seen a movie. And then you see, uh, we'll do a deer, because... <laughs> Instead of a person, we'll do a deer. Oh, that's a perfect shot right there. Okay. You, right, it's a side view. Right where those crosshairs are is where you want the bolt to go, right? Well, when you buy it or you first mount your scope, your bullet might go way over here instead of 
So you have to zero it. You have to get it all aligned together. And what you do is if you have a target, and I'm just using, these are the kind of targets that we used in the army where I did a lot of zeroing of a lot of different types of weapons. Helped a lot of people figure it out or not figure it out because it does end up to you. You've got to kind of, you're a part of it, all right, using the rifle. It doesn't do everything for you. And there are two things that are important to hitting your target. You may have learned about these in chemistry. This is where I first learned about it. All right, you have, um, you have accuracy and precision. I think I spelled this right. Yep. Um, and then you, you have the ability to have low accuracy and high accuracy, and low accuracy and low precision. So you have, this is the low accuracy and low precision target. Well, technically your accuracy would That's what you get. Those are all your bullet holes, all right? This is the bullseye. Then you have, you have low accuracy and high precision, which means that you're really getting them all in the same group. Everything's together, but you're not hitting the target. So they're like me with a, bull, with a bull and arrow shooting towards the bullseye. I miss every time, but I'm still hitting someone with the target. Right. Never the you're target getting somewhere, but not quite there yet. Then you have high accuracy and low precision. Which means that you're pretty close to the target, but not really. But they're not grouped together. You're on the target, but not grouped together. This is usually where That's people like struggle. Me. Is this one? That's more like being a bow and arrow. Then you have high accuracy, high precision. You're actually hitting the target every single time with Paige. You're doing great. Okay. Now. Um, This means that you're not aiming at the same place every time, or what you are doing, there's a problem. And there's also a problem with the rifle you're using. It's not lined up. Well, if it's tight, you're just But this means you have a lot of problems, and it's really hard to diagnose what the problem is here. And this is kind of what I'm talking about with if you're having a hard time with your spiritual side, to pick something from the Bible and say, I'm going to focus on that, and that will help you. Okay. Then you have low accuracy, high precision. That means that you are doing everything right with shooting the rifle. You're pointing it at the same place every time. You don't move it when you pull the trigger. The Just no, right, it is the accuracy, but the accuracy is the rifle has a problem. You have to fix the rifle. Yes, but technically, even with high accuracy and high precision, you're not always going to hit the center of the target. You might actually hit different spots of the target most of the time. Too. No, if it's perfect, you will hit it in the same place. That's not, the point. Well, so, high accuracy and low precision means that your rifle is dead on, but you keep making an error. Either you jerk the rifle when you pull the trigger or you don't line it up in the same spot. High accuracy, high precision, everything's perfect. Okay. Now, if 
Is the gun accurate? Itself. But once you get it zeroed in and everything, yes. is it accurate? Yes. Okay. Is the gun precise? Not unless you set it up to take clear right away, but the precision is on you. That's right. The precision is all about you. Okay? Now, have you ever shot a bow and arrow? Yes. I have. Okay. You probably all did in school, right? Now, let me ask you this, because it's the same, same concept with all this stuff. Is the bow accurate? If you are no sights on it, it's just you pick up a bow. Um, I'm more like the third one that says high accuracy, low precision when it comes to a bow. Okay. Right. So it's sort of, it's sort of, per, it's sort of accurate, but you do have a factor in that accuracy yes, way more. Yes, because you have to set it up, aim it, aim yourself. Yep. It's not like a rifle where you could screw it into um, a stand and you can just pull the trigger and you can line it up on the target. It's not it like that. It's somewhat the same because you have to pull it back with your two fingers. It's somewhat, like, but not exactly. Now, is the bow precise? Not really, but sometimes it can be, but it's... Nope, it's not. It's up to you. The precision is up to you. Now, let's go one step further. Have you all played basketball? Is the ball accurate? No. <laughs> no. Definitely not. Is the ball precise? No. No. It's all about you, right? I'm not sure either. It has everything to do with you. Yeah. And now, um, not necessarily recommending this, but just to bring them up. Recently, I've been watching, we watched the Michael Jordan Netflix special about Michael Jordan. I can't watch Netflix. No internet. It's okay. But you know who Michael Jordan is, right? Well, he is probably the greatest basketball player of all time. I know. Probably the greatest, um, one of the greatest sports just figures ever. And was, he was accurate and precise. Like, all the time. Almost all the time. How did he get to be like that? Through, through practice. He, practice makes perfect. Yes, but he was absolutely obsessed. Like, you could almost call him insane in how he was about basketball. That's all he thought about. That's all he did. It, well, technically not all I did because he had to eat and sleep. Yes, but he ate and slept so he could play basketball. It was all focused so then he could fuel his body and his body would work right. Now... It's more like that because you are with the fruits of the spirit. You are the machine, the rifle, whatever it is, and you are the operator. And you want to get to the point where you are both accurate and precise with producing fruits of the spirit. And why are we spending so much time on the fruits of the spirit then? You've got to practice. We are creatures of habit, and if you don't do something regularly, not going to be very good at it. Think about it. If you don't shoot your bow for a while, <laughs> you're not going to be good at it. And then you go back to it six months later, were you as good as when you were practicing every day? No. You're or even basketball. 
I mean, some of us were just never good at basketball, but you know. Um, I actually used to be bad, and now I'm actually good after like three years of not doing this. Could be you're just getting older. It's kind of the opposite for me, really. Okay. So, this isn't the kind of thing where you can just cram for the test. Anybody ever do that before? You just study, you memorize it, you take the test, and then you you dump all the information afterwards. Now, I'm not saying you should not study because it is valuable to learn how to study, but if you really want to know something, you do it all the time and consistently. That's how you remember it. That's how you get good at it. Not for me, though. No, for everybody. That's how people are made. I know, you do have a very good memory. You are blessed with that. So, um, so without knowing it, we've been looking at our fruit of the Spirit for tonight. We're doing faith tonight. I mean, I know, we talked about it, but that was just getting us somewhere. So, what we're looking at is faith and, I would say, slash, oops, faithfulness, alright? I say that because it's, um... It's hard to divide the meaning of uh, what this verse is trying to get across. It's hard to pick out one of them because they're kind of linked together. So, we said already that faith is belief in God's promises. And other way that this verse defines it is it is reliance on Jesus. Anybody know what reliance means? That you're dependent on that person? Yes. That you that you need them for whatever reason. And in this case, I mean, you need Jesus for everything. You need him just to breathe. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't be here if he if he didn't cause it to happen. So we have this reliance on him. But I would say it's more of an awareness of your reliance on him. Because you could say, well, I don't believe in God at all. In fact, I hate God. And that wouldn't be faith, right? Even though you're still relying on him to breathe. Because it's a recognition of relying on Jesus. Now, the other word, or other two words for um, faith in this verse is fidelity and commitment. What's fidelity mean? Anyone heard that word before? Maybe the insurance company? Yeah. (laughs) Right? Yeah, it was hard when I, like, Googling it for a definition, because it just pops up with insurance company all over the place. But you have to type in definition afterwards. Does it have something to do with living? Living? Yeah, I don't know. In what way? What do you mean? I don't know. Just because it's insurance? Yeah. No, it just, I feel like, like, I've heard the word fidelity. Okay. Used, but I can't, like, I can't remember. 
What'd you say, Audrey? I don't think it has that same root. I'm not sure about that word. There's another word. What if I said fealty? You ever hear that word? Fealty, F-E-A-L-T-Y. That's a really old word that nobody uses anymore unless you are looking at medieval type stuff. Medieval times? Yeah. Like Renaissance? Yes. And during those times, what do you... Go ahead, Gary. Okay, yeah, right. I've been there <laughs> with plenty of words. Uh, yeah, you just like, I'll figure this out later. Um, fealty is what a knight would say, I pledge fealty to my lord. Loyalty. Yeah, it's a loyalty. It's a, I, um, I pledge my, my life sometimes is what fealty meant because they were going to fight for him that you are going to follow this person. You are going to do things for this person. Okay? So, um, it is, they're both, you know, fidelity, commitment. Fidelity and fealty share the same root word, which essentially means to be loyal. Okay? And commitment to, to a cause. Now, what's different between these two definitions of faith? There's something intrinsically different at the root. There's something different about these, the way these two faith things are carried out. But the top one, you just say, like, you believe it, and then the other one is you apply it to the Yes, there we go. This one, I would say, oh, together. You hold this. That's something you hold. You hold it within yourself. You hold that belief. This one here is what you do. That has to do with actions. Actions in this world that you do. So, God is looking for people that he can rely on. Do you like it when you have a friend that you make plans with and they don't show up? Well, I don't really make plans with friends because they're only Or it could be even family members. It could be anybody. Or do you like it when, or after a while, you just get to the point where you're like, I don't know if they're going to be there or not. I just cannot rely on it. That can happen. So, God is looking for somebody he can rely on. Someone that he knows is going to do what he asks. So let's turn to Genesis chapter 13. I'm not really sure why we've been talking or looking at Moses a lot, but we have been. So this is not Moses, but we're going to get there. 
God told Moses in Genesis chapter 13, verse 17, that he was going to walk all over Canaan, the land of Canaan, and wherever he stepped was going to belong to him one day. You guys need the map quick. Have some of you not gotten the map before? I guess I haven't done it. I did it in reverse. <laughs> I was like, hang on. <laughs> so, this is the delta of the Nile. And down here is the Red Sea. Everyone knows where the Nile is, right? This is the Dead Sea. Over here is Greece, in case... A little bit more reference. Jordan River. Sea of Galilee, where Jesus calmed the waves. And this is the city of Jerusalem. Alright. And now, this is before. Jerusalem, well, now probably wasn't there when Abraham was alive. Too far back to know for sure because it's not mentioned at all. And Abraham lived in a place way over here called Ur, and then God told him he was going to leave Ur. So he was going to leave the city that he grew up in. And he, God said, you're just going to, I just need you to get out. And Abraham said, where? And he said, not telling you where. You just need to go. And he just, he lived nomadically with a tent and his sheep and stuff. And God one day said to him in verse 13, chapters, or chapter 13, verse 17, arise and walk through the land in the length of it and in the breadth of it and I will give it unto thee. So this is along with his promise that he was going to have as many children as there were grains of sand on the beach. Which is physically impossible. Not if they are your grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-great-great-grandchildren. No, I mean, like, if they were children, it would be physically impossible. Well, yes, but he meant his descendants, of course. So along with that, he says, I want you to just walk all over the land of Canaan. <laughs> Wherever you walk... Which he had to do anyways to move his flocks, because when they eat up all the grass, you got to move. So he said, walk all over the land. Wherever you walk, that will belong to you one day. So, many years later, after God, Abraham's children one day through Jacob and Joseph end up in Egypt, and then become slaves, and then Moses is sent by God to free them, and they leave, go into the desert, and God has Moses lead that million plus people back to the edge of the promised land. Okay. This is, by the way, 400 years later, a long time later. And God says, now I want you to go check out the land that I promised you. This is the time for you to go and see what I'm going to bless you with. So Numbers, turn forward a couple of books in the Bible, to Numbers chapter 13, verse 25, is where we're going to start. 
Numbers chapter 13. Uh, so Numbers 13. Yes. We're going to start, though, with verse 25. Which story, though? It, this is Moses leading the Israelites into the promised land. Numbers. That's the name of the book, is Numbers. It's after Leviticus. There you go. Me too. Sometimes. Yep. It's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and then Numbers. Okay. Um, let's start with verse 25 of chapter 13. Read to 31. And they went and came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel unto the wilderness of Kadesh and brought back word unto them and unto all the congregation and shewed them the fruit of the land. And they told them and said, We came unto the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people be strong and dwell in the land. And the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of An- Anak there. The Am- Amalekites, is that right? Amalekites, you were very close. Amalekites, <laughs> living the land of Linnegade. The Heathites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. And Canaanites. 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 <laughs> live by the sea and along the Jordan. And Caleb still. And Caleb. Right? Stilled. Stilled. Yeah. Stilled the people for Moses and said, Let us go up at once and Moses it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, We. We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than me. Okay. So, Moses says, I want each of you tribes, there's 12 of them, pick one person, and they'll be your representative to go spy in the land of Canaan. They all pick one, and those 12 go in, and what do they? what's their message that they bring back? What's their report of what they see? What's in the land? Okay, there's the Amalekites. Okay, and it flows with milk and honey. Okay, do you, and we skipped over this, but they brought back a bunch of grapes that two people had to carry on a pole between them. That's how big this bunch of grapes was. Like, huge. So imagine probably like, I don't know, 100, 150 pound grapes. Those could be people from like three months. For a while, I guess. So, so it looks like a really good place to grow stuff, right? Yeah. Looks pretty awesome. Lots of milk and honey, which means that the cattle, it's good for them there. There's lots of bees. It will be a wonderful land to live in. Now, what else do they say about it? They said they were, and it's an atmosphere 
The people are really strong. Okay, do you know who the children of Anak are? No. We don't have time to look at this, but yes, get in. I remember this from the details, but they said they're giants. Yes, they are giants. If you look farther back in the Bible, I want to say you go back to Noah's time and they talk about the people of Anak, and they, whatever it was, their genes, they were like giants, like Goliath, like nine, ten foot tall people, huge. Maybe they were related to Goliath. They were. It does later talk about that Goliath was a descendant of them. So, and they say that they had these huge walled cities, which were not common then. This was something unique to the area, that there were lots of walled cities. And they say, we're afraid. We can't go in there. We can't defeat them. We can't defeat them. So, what does Caleb say, though? This is one of the spies was named Caleb. What's he say? Yes. He says, come on, let's go. God is taking care of us. He crossed, took us across the Red Sea, destroyed Pharaoh's people, his whole army that was after us. He's given us manna. He's given us clothing. He's given us water out of a rock in the middle of the desert. Why wouldn't he, though? It, You're destroying another entire place, which is basically starting a war. But God is telling them to do that. He is having them because these people that live there right now, what they do is they sacrifice babies to false gods. Right, exactly. God has given them many chances, and now he's saying he's going to take them, take the land, and give it to the Israelites instead. So. Let's see what they say in verse, in next chapter, in 14, verse 1 through 6 now. Congregation. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness? And wherefore hath the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by the sword, that our wives, our children should be a prey, were it not better for us to return unto Egypt? And they said one to another, Let us make a captive, and let us return into Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole assembly of Israelite family. And Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of... It's a tough one. Jephunneth. 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 yeah. Which were Which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. Okay. There go the Israelites complaining. Yeah, exactly. So, what did they say when they heard that um, that things were so terrible in this land. Yes, and they cried. They all wept. All night. And what else did they do? There's just like you're just like, what are you doing? They did something else in there. 
I think it's in this. Yeah, verse 4. They're going to pick a new leader instead of Moses to take them back to Egypt. And what is Moses and Aaron's reaction? They are, they're, they're essentially, they are at their wits end and they're just saying, God, we need help. Essentially, that's what that action is like. We've done all this. We followed God's plans, and still, they don't want. They don't. They have no faith in what God wants them to do. But what then do Caleb and Joshua do? Who are all four going in? They tear their clothes, which is a sign of like great sorrow and like this is a tragedy that we're not going in there. So, you have to wonder, where was their faith, their reliance on God? Where was their commitment to God? They saw more amazing stuff than anybody until the disciples saw. They, they saw amazing things. But yet, there were only two of them who were unwavering because God never wavered for them. They saw that God rescued them from Egypt. These were men who were probably in their 20s or early teens when they left Egypt. They saw, um, they saw the Red Sea opened up. They walked on dry land. And then it was closed and crushed the Egyptian army, totally obliterated them. They have found today that still there, they have found chariot wheels under the Red Sea from those chariots. You can just build the rest of it in the wood. No, it's all rotten and like petrified. But they have watched water come out of a rock in the wilderness and field a million cattle and a mil- like half a million people. Well, I think it was God that caused that. Yes, but there could have also been a geyser that got put underneath the rock. It could be that, yes. Um, And when they get to something that's a little tough, something that they know is going to be hard. They just want to give up, but the other two say it's God's plan. That's right. Caleb and Joshua say, we're not afraid. Let's go. Let's do this. We believe in God. We trust him. And we're committed to him no matter what. They were ready. They're waiting for God's action. And they're not allowed, these Israelites, to go into the promised land. If you keep reading, God says, none of you are going to see the promised land. You're all going, I'm going to cause you to lead you around in the wilderness, in the desert, for 40 years until you all die. And then your children will get a chance to go in. He says, except for you, Caleb, and you, Joshua. You are the only two of this generation that will live to see it. Everyone else is going to die. And you know what? That wasn't... It's sad. It's really sad is what it is. And Caleb... When they, Joshua ends up being their leader after Moses, leads them, and they do conquer the whole country where they're willing to with God's help. And Caleb, 
at 80 years old, still relying on God, still ready, waiting for God's guidance. They ask him, after, because he's done so many great things, Ben Joshua's right-hand man, they ask Caleb, what do you want for all that you've done? And he's 80 years old. He might have been 84 at this point. And he says, you know those Anak guys, how they have that castle way up in the mountains over there? We haven't defeated them yet. He's like, I want that land for me and all my children. And they're like, okay, you can have that. And he takes an army with him at 80 years old, and he goes and kills all these giants and destroys their cities and takes them for himself. He, is, he is, was an amazing guy. And it was all, all of that was because he believed in God, he waited on God, and when God moved, Caleb moved at the same time. He waited for the chance, the opportunities to come, and he acted on them when God put them before him. And God blessed him for that. Not too many 80-year-olds could go into battle, let alone battle against giants. Yeah. I mean, but here's the thing. I want you to think about... I want you to think about how different this year has been so far. Way too different. It's weird. It's very different. It's dangerous. And you would even say some parts of it were pretty awful. Still are. Right. I heard you guys talk about some of them. Some of the things. But we have seen God do some awesome things this year too. There have been great opportunities to of fellowship, great opportunities to see God work during this time. And if you weren't here, which I know you all were here, but I'm glad you guys have been here for that, those opportunities. And if you wait on God, you trust in him, you're faithful to him, there are many more opportunities to come in your life. You have to be on the lookout and be watching for it and be ready to act when God asks you. All right, thank you very much, guys.